Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. I am not uh, beginning a new sermon series until after Labor Day weekend. You'll be hearing about that in the coming weeks. But uh, what this means is I have some freedom here for a few weeks to just preach, I guess you could say, whatever the Lord is stirring in my heart. Um, And I was actually going a different direction with this Sunday But as it appears, we are entering into, as Mark has already mentioned, entering uh, back into another COVID surge, which I don't know if you've noticed, but people tend to actually have opinions about that. Um, So midweek this week, after Governor Bashir's executive order ignited such uh, fierce debate within our state as our session uh, met and you received a communication about that, made some decisions. This likewise invoked not a fierce debate, thankfully, but mild discussion. I felt, the, I felt led to kind of scrap my plans for this Sunday and preach into this moment that is upon us. Now, of course, my uh, number one concern remains the health of our congregation, and you can certainly be praying for that, as Mark said. We've had some folks in the hospital. We've had some breakthrough cases, uh, children getting it. So certainly, uh, that remains my uh, highest concern. But my secondary concern, which, speaking candidly, is not very far behind my primary concern, is what COVID is revealing about us. The toxicity, animosity, hostility, in some case, downright enmity within our culture, and unfortunately, within many churches in our culture. I talk to pastors quite a bit, and um, they share with me devastating stories about how this virus has divided their congregation. Stories about how decisions that their leadership is making and they are losing members within their church over these decisions. Now, let me say up front, thankfully, this is not the case here at TCPC. One of the things my uh, sabbatical afforded me was a reminder of just how lovely, just how amazing is this community. I love our church more than ever before coming off my sabbatical. Um, and one thing is very clear from that is that our church 
in no way depends upon its senior leadership, which I love. Something I got repeatedly from some of you were uh, jokes about how well the church was going without me and how you're not even sure if the church needs me. Um, my favorite was from, if you know this guy, you'll, you'll, this won't surprise you. My favorite was from Lee Sisk, um, who told me, I hope you're enjoying your sabbatical as much as we are. In the first service, people actually started clapping at that. <laughs> and I laughed and I loved it, but let me tell you, it's only because our church is so healthy, so loving, that you love the leadership so well that jokes like that bring me joy, not discouragement. This is a great place, and I cannot relate to the stories I'm hearing from other pastors. But, it must be said, pride comes before the fall. And let us not arrogantly presume that we are above being divided from what is dividing our nation and many churches. I don't want that to happen. And so view this sermon not as a passive-aggressive rebuke toward anyone or any opinion or any belief. View this as preventative spiritual health care. Let's have a discussion this morning that will serve as a preemptive way to protect ourselves from the viral animosity that is just as contagious as the virus itself. Now, let me put all my cards on the table here. I'm obviously not your doctor. I'm your pastor, one of your pastors. What this means is that my vocational concern is less about what you believe in this area and far more about how you believe what you believe. That's my concern. Less about your deeply held opinions, and I know you have them from conversations throughout the week. This week, I can tell you for certain, opinions vary dramatically within this very room. I'm less concerned about those opinions and more concerned about the way in which you carry those opinions. Far more concerned about what those opinions are doing to you and to others. So let's all just take a deep breath, okay? Amid the chaos of our culture, let's take a deep breath, disconnect from the talking points of our fractured society, and recalibrate ourselves as a community around God's Word. And I thought of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. If you think our culture is divided, the Jew-Gentile divide in the early church was lethal. And Paul was in the throes of that throughout his whole ministry. His call from Jesus was to bring the gospel to his former, former enemies, the Gentiles, enfold them into communities of Jewish converts and convince these rival factions to unite together as one glorious church of Jesus Christ. I cannot overstate how seemingly impossible that call was. And so if you are familiar with Paul's writings, you know that virtually all of his epistles in some way have a moment where he is pleading, obsessively pleading for unity. And our passage is one of the most significant of those pleas. A plea to bear with one another in love. And I'm going to divide it up into two points. Application and motivation. The application to bear with one another, 
the motivation to bear with one another. Let's start with the application. Now, the reason why I call it application is because of the way verse 1 is structured, where he says, I therefore. The therefore means that this is the application of what he has already written. And what he has already written is nothing less than some of the richest theological discourse that you will find in all of Scripture. The structure of the book of Ephesians is very simple. Um, Chapters 1 through 3 is theology. Chapters 4 through 6 is the application of that theology. And so our Um, Our passage is the turning point in Ephesians. Ephesians 1 through 3 is rich and glorious truths that, if you remember here, um, you probably, there's so many of those verses in 1 through 3 that you just love and adore and cling to as those truths. But now, in light of what is true, Paul tells us what to do. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk, meaning apply, get to work in a way that is worthy. Worthy there in the Greek means equal or in proportion to. Your orthodoxy must be worthy, it must be equal in proportion to your orthopraxy. Or more simply, your conduct must match your creed. So if you believe it, you will live it. Now, What specifically does Paul have in mind here? What is this walk that he is concerned about? If you're familiar with the Ephesus context, the answer might surprise you. Ephesus was a deeply pagan society with multiple temples that housed worship to pagan gods and goddesses. So perhaps Paul would say, flee, condemn these idolatrous practices. Sexuality in Ephesus was profoundly broken and perverse, even more so than in ours. Perhaps Paul would begin with an application toward a biblical sexual ethic. Greed, materialism was rampant in this very affluent culture, one of the most affluent cultures in the ancient world. Maybe he would call them toward simplicity, generosity. All of these are good and necessary applications that Paul does get to in roundabout ways in Ephesians, but he has a greater concern. He has a greater concern for the Ephesians. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So Paul elevates bearing with one another in love as his chief application, his foremost application to his theology. And so we should probably linger here and consider it. The command is to bear with one another, but he qualifies it with three characteristics, humility, gentleness, and patience. So what I want to do is spend the majority of our time this morning considering both his command to bear with one another in love, and those three qualifiers. Let's begin with the command, to bear with one another. Now, when you think about it, this is a strange way to tell us to, want, to love each other, isn't it? But I appreciate it for its honesty. Bearing with one another implies that love is not easy, and it's not. Paul is not advocating for a utopian harmony that belongs only to the fullness of the kingdom of God that is to come. Instead, what this is doing is acknowledging what we all know to be true. 
I am not easy to love, and neither are you. The impetus of bear with one another is not idealism that is unattainable, but nor is it defeatism that is inexcusable for God's people. Instead, it recognizes the sinful struggles that we all share, yet we are a community that refuses to let those struggles win. We instead will bear with each other. Now, as I've already said, I want to commend our congregation here. It's an amazing community. But my question for us is, can we do even better? You see, we dare not misread the call to bear with one another as simply tolerating each other. That's why Paul says, bear with one another in love. Love is not merely toleration. I am confident in our ability to tolerate the diversity of opinions that are in this room. I really am. There is no fierce enmity slanderous gossip, harmful politicking going on in this church. But Paul has in mind more than just not hating each other. He has in mind love. So what does it look like to bear with one another in love? That's why these three qualifiers are so important. We bear with one another in three ways. Let me go through each of those. First, Paul says, with humility, we bear with one another. You know, there's a self-righteous way to bear with others. Look at me, I'm so special. You have so many issues, so many struggles that I can't relate to, so many opinions that are clearly misguided if you just knew what I knew, but I want you to know I'm willing to bear with you nonetheless. It's nauseating, isn't it? In this way, bearing with others is an exploitive exercise for our own self-righteous ends. In contrast, Paul says, no, 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 we bear with others in humility. Here's what that means. I'm going to bear with you because you have to bear with me. And that's not lip service. My love toward others is grounded in a sincere conviction that bearing with me is more difficult than bearing with anyone else. I'm the hardest person here to love. And because of that, I will love you. Okay, next, Paul says, with gentleness we bear with one another. There's a way to bear with others that actually makes it a painful experience for them. Every marriage in this room has perfected this technique. Of course I'm not going anywhere. Of course I'm going to bear with you in marriage. But in my countenance, in my passive aggressiveness, in my carefully chosen words that I know sting, I will ensure that it hurts you just as much as it hurts me to bear with you. So bearing with one another becomes a harsh exercise. This is not what Paul has in mind. His call is gentleness. It's not that we can't have differences with one another. We can. But the ethos of the way we enact these differences matters. It matters how you disagree. We are gentle with each other. We embrace the call to bear with others in such a way that those who are a burden to us do not feel that they are burdensome. Okay, finally, Paul says, with patience, we bear with one another. Better translation there would probably be long-suffering. It's the idea is we are called to bear with one another over time in the face of repeated difficulties and differences. 
It is easy to bear with another in response to one single offense or disagreement. We can all do that. Even the world does that. But what do you do when sanctification comes slowly as it always does? When struggles persist, when disagreements are continual, what do you do with that? Lord, Peter asks, how many times must I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven? Seven times? Oh, Peter, Jesus responds, not seven, but 70 times seven. Friends, that's what you're signing up for when you join the family of God. We are in this for a long haul, a lifetime of forbearance toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, with those qualifiers in mind, now let's assess how we are doing. Like I said, we are a healthy community. There is no need for me to rebuke, address toxic factions in our midst, and I don't take that for granted. Very thankful. But Paul's definition of bearing with one another goes far beyond merely the absence of hatred. It's a proactive humility, gentleness, and forbearance. How are you doing there? That's your topic for discussion over lunch. Assess yourself in all three of these areas. And again, speaking to the elephant in the room, culturally speaking, assess assess yourself when it comes to those who have different opinions than you on all things COVID. You don't hate them? That's great. Thank you for not hating them. But what about your humility toward them? What about your gentleness towards them? What about your patience toward them? And of course, it doesn't have to be COVID. There are so many ways we disagree with one another. Perhaps, in fact, consider those who, for whatever reason, you do continually disagree with, are continually burdensome to you. That's what bearing with other means. After all, if they are easy for you, you don't have to bear with them. If they're difficult, these are the ones you have to bear with. So this is speaking about those who are a burden to bear. My question is not, are you willing to bear with them, but more so, how are you bearing with them? Is it marked by humility, gentleness, and patience? If you're anything like me, you have some repenting to do. My my, uh, conviction that I received from preparing this sermon is, I'm really good at tolerating people. I'm really good at putting up with people. I'm not one who has a lot of hatred in their heart towards people, but then when I pressed it down to what about my humility, what about my gentleness, what about my patience, that's where I said, ooh, I've got a lot of work to do, and I'm assuming I'm not alone, which means one thing's for certain, we need help. We need help to do this. Well, that's where Paul takes us. We've seen his application. Let's close by looking at motivation. The motivation that Paul unpacks here is that we are to do this for the sake of God's glory and the world's good. Look at at the God motivation in verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This isn't a selfish motivation. It isn't even a neighbor motivation. This is a Spirit of God motivation. 
We bear with one another because we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. What does that mean? It means this. The same Holy Spirit that is at work within me is at work within you. If we are divided, God's Spirit is divided and cursed be the thought. If you are at enmity with brothers and sisters in Christ, it is as though God's Spirit is at enmity against God's Spirit. Have you ever thought of it that way? That person in our community who is so hard for you has the Holy Spirit too. And woe be to us who allow personality quirks, opinions, disagreements to divide the Holy Spirit of God. And so we give ourselves to this inconvenient and at times painful call to bear with one another in love if for no other reason than to ensure God's spirit is united together in the bonds of peace. If for no other reason, do it for God. But the motivation goes further. Do it also for the world. Verses four through six. There is one body, one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's a lot going on there, but the emphasis is impossible to miss. Seven times the word one is repeated. And that oneness is connected to the calling that we have received. There's a connection between us being one and our calling. Why is unity so big to God? Because God is one and his plan for the world is to reunite everything together again as one as he is one. As the passage says here, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. That's not fully realized yet, but it will be one day. I cannot help but remember the words of our Lord toward the end of his life when he prayed for his followers that they may all be one just as you, Father, are me and I in you, that they might be brought to complete unity, then, Jesus says, the world will know. Our unity is a witness to this sin-fractured world of our God and his intentions. You see, the greatest fruit of sin is division. It divides families, nations, cultures. Yes, ultimately divides humanity from God. But the triune God who is perfectly one aims to reunite again what sin has divided. This is what was meant by the angels when upon this Savior's birth it was declared peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Our world is the furthest thing from that declaration. We are strife on earth and enmity among men. But within this alienated world, God has placed in his people, in his churches, an advertisement of a new world that is to come. An advertisement that proclaims the hope of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. But so many churches replicate the world's divisions rather than the Trinity's unity and thus become an advertisement for the ways of the world, not their God. Parked out in our parking lot, you may have noticed it coming in. Honestly, it's kind of hard to miss. 
um, is a bright red car with S&S tire logos plastered all over it. Well, that's Mark Randall's new car, for the time being at least. He went to get an oil change, and they forgot to put new oil in his engine, and this, of course, ruined the engine, and so S&S gave him their advertisement car to drive until they made things right. I think I would have pushed for a rental, but Mark went with the driving billboard. And the irony is not missed on me here. Everywhere he goes, he's advertising for the very business that ruined his car. That's just an illustration. Mark is a very kind and loyal customer. He would want me to say that he loves SNS and they are making things right. But the point I'm making is that this is exactly what so many churches are doing with their divisions. When churches are divided by predictable divisions of our culture, when what rages in the world is replicated within our churches, we are an advertisement for the very thing that has ruined our world. Friends, we are not an advertisement for this sin-sick world and its ways. We are a counter-protest. We advertise, we proclaim that God who is one will reunite what sin has laid waste. Let's give ourselves to that work. Let's do this, friends. Now more than ever, while our world rages, let's be perhaps the only remaining oasis left in our culture from the rage. And that oasis is not merely a temporary reprieve. It is a testimony of what is to come. We are a foretaste of the world's destiny. When the prophet Isaiah promised, God shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And he's got a lot of disputes to decide. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation ever again. Neither shall they learn war anymore. That is our world's destiny. Let us show our world what it's like. Let me pray. And so unite us together as one. We want to confess that this is hard, Lord. We turn our preferences into absolutes. We turn our opinions into orthodoxy. Let us lay down the raging ways of our culture and choose the better way, which is love. Help us to bear with one another in humility, gentleness, and patience. We confess our failures. Use this meal to strengthen us for the work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.